warfare. And, and it was kind of a weird thing because part of it is, is, was simply an introduction. And with all the chaos that is going on in the world today, we need to know about this. We need to be aware of it. And more importantly, we need to be prepared for what is going on out there. And so if you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We read this last week. We'll probably read this every week while we go through. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Thank you, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I messed that up last week, and I didn't fix it this week. But I will fix it for next week. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. There's two of them. Go to the second one. Starting in verse 1, says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that I, when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now we will dig into this passage a lot more in the weeks to come. But basically what we need to know is that though we walk according to the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh and the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We need to just keep that in the back of our head as we go through all of this. But we will break down this passage more so. And so in the world we have today, this, this week we just saw another slap in the face to God, so to speak. Another ruling from the Supreme Court is if they have the authority to change a definition and, and a, a, a thing that God has set up. As if man has some sort of way of telling God how we're going to do things. We see this spiritual battle going on, and sometimes it feels like all hope is lost. Honestly, we feel like that we're losing, and the reason we feel like that is because we're inundated with things from, from TV, from radio, from the internet. We're constantly hearing about all the battles that we lose, but we don't hear about the ones that we win. Did you know that nine out of every ten cases that go to the, to go to the different court thing against the separation of church-state, the church wins? Nine out of ten. The reason for that is because the law is unfounded in the way they're interpreting it. That's not the way it was written. That's not the way it was intended. We win most of those things, and yeah, we'll lose a few, but God is bigger than all of that. We lose focus because we want to go and fight, and you know what causes that? Pride. The, the have to to win. We cannot be caught up and what everybody else is caught up in. We cannot be caught up in the haughtiness and pride is that you're going against me, therefore I will rise up against you. We don't need to rise up against anybody. We will stand for truth. We will make our voices heard. And we will proclaim truth at all, all times. But we don't have to get into the shouting matches and we don't have to win the argument because God is bigger than all of that. And so when we look at this, I want to start at the very, very beginning, as I try to do with all series, is we want to lay a foundation of Scripture, a foundation of, of doctrine, so to speak, and understanding the different parts of spiritual warfare. And in order to do this, we must be grounded in the Word. And so the thing that I want to bring to you today, and over the next couple of weeks, is that there's one thing that I take every new believer in. If, 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 if somebody comes to Christ, and sometimes we do this with old believers because we don't think about this stuff, but there are four fundamental questions that we have to be able to answer. We have to be able to answer them from a biblical standpoint. Okay? The first one, who is God? 
Not is who is your opinion of God, who do you think God is, none of that stuff. It's who is He from a biblical perspective. Secondly, who am I in relationship to Him? We have to be able to answer that. Not, again, from my opinion, because the opinions will vary. The third one is how do we worship Him? God has laid an order of worship, and that we do. And the problem is, is to, in westernized church, we think worship, we think music. Irrelevant. Part of it, yes, but not all of it. And the last question, which will really get us into the spiritual warfare part, is who is my enemy? we got to know who we're warring against. It would be no different than if we waged war, but we haven't decided who it is. We just start blowing missiles everywhere. It doesn't make any sense. We have to have a plan of attack. So these four questions must be able to be answered by every believer. And I'll bet you, if you just think about it right now, just the simple question, who is God? You're like, well, uh, uh, he's the creator and all that. I actually posed this question. The last ministry we were at the church we were there, we had a youth ministry that was full of homeschool kids, a bunch of them. And they were all part of the Bible clubs and, and they did the Bible bowls, if you know what that is. They, they basically memorize a whole chunk of scripture and they go and all that kind of stuff. And the problem was, is they memorized a whole bunch, but they didn't know any of it. And so I posed them with the question, who is God? And the best answer they were able to give, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Which is fine, that's not an incorrect answer. Also, the Creator is not an incorrect answer. But when we say, who is God, we've got to think bigger than that. What are the attributes of Him? When I say, who is Jim, well, we all know who Jim Claude felt, but when you think of Jim, you, th- you may think of different features of Jim, just their attributes of his personality and whatnot. That's the same thing. Who is God? So, we've got to take these from a biblical perspective. And so when we pose this question, if we pose this in a public setting, you're going to get a plethora of answers. You know, who is God? Well, I don't know if he's the Judeo-Christian God, but he's a, maybe he's a higher power. Some will say he's a woman. An answer that I actually heard this week, a magic man in the sky. And the problem is, is that we all have opinions, and we all have ideas, and we all have different things that we look upon, but where do we get our answers from, or where should we get our answers from? It's got to come from Scripture. So turn over to Romans chapter 1, and we're going to just start here today. Romans chapter 1, it is the first book of Romans, not the second one. Romans chapter 1, starting as, that was a joke, tough crowd, okay. Wah, wah, wah. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So here we are. God has revealed Himself to all men. What this is telling us is that everybody knows that God is real, but not everyone chooses to worship Him. We see that in other passages of Scripture. Basically, what this is telling us is that atheists do not exist. And we have covered this, and when we did our worldview series, we talked about that. According to the Bible, atheists do not exist. Everybody knows that there is God. That God is there and He's real because He has revealed Himself to them. But they choose whether or not to worship Him. We're seeing that today. You're seeing this that in the world we live today, that they are chasing after the desires of their flesh. They're chasing after the things that they want, and they're catapulting these things above any higher power. Basically, they are saying that God is not bigger than my desires. My desires trump 
what God says. Several months ago, the Lord showed me something dealing with the homosexuality movement, and I'm not going to try to constantly just deal with current events. I promise you that. But we need to talk about this. Is that God was showing me something that when I was looking at this stuff, and I, and I try to be prepared for all of this because you're going to face these questions all the time, is, is it, I found it ironic that they chose the rainbow as their colors, that this is their battle flag. What a spit in the face of God. What is the rainbow? The rainbow was the sign of the covenant made to Noah that I will never destroy the world again by water. What was he doing? He was judging sin. And they're basically saying, you can't judge me. We hear the argument all the time is that, well, you shouldn't judge. Nobody can judge me but God. And our response should simply be like, you're right. God's going to judge you, which is why I'm telling you this. But we don't see that. I had a conversation this week with a, a, a local person here in town who claims to be agnostic. And as soon as she told me that, I kind of smirked a little. And she's like, why are you smirking? It's like, I love people like you. Because at least agnostic is smart enough to say, there could be something out there because I don't have all knowledge. And so we began to talk. She's like, and the trouble, she said, the trouble I have is believing in some magic man in the sky. And so we began to talk, and she said, you know, I have to see things to believe it. I just, I just can't believe it. Otherwise, it's just so hard. And she's like, I'm very sciencey." I said, well, what a coincidence. So am I. And when I got into the second law of thermodynamics, and she didn't know what I was talking about, I realized that I'm more sciencey than she is. But, but we begin to discuss the things of God and who he was and who he says excuse me, who he claims to be, and, and looking at the world around us. And I was like, you have to see things, but you believe that all of this came from nothing, and you have enough faith for that. And this was an hour and a half long conversation, with, and there were a couple other people there that were just kind of chiming in and all of that. Thank God for that. I didn't win an argument. She didn't bow down and say, Jesus, I need you. She didn't do anything. We planted a seed. And all I was trying to do was just show her the truth. And show her that how God is real. Taking this passage from Romans 1, that God has revealed Himself. And we see it all around us. His invisible attributes are all around us. The things that are seen and the things that are not seen. We don't have all knowledge. And so I began to show her this. And then I made this statement when we asked the question, Who is God? The greatest personification of God can be seen through the life of Jesus Christ. You see, before that, they didn't have a personal relationship with God. Before that, God was this, so to speak, figurehead. Adam and Eve had it and lost it. Then there's this time where God was there and He would talk, speak through prophets and people like Moses had encounters with Him. And the high priest would, would be there in the tabernacles and, and would see Him once a year or be in the presence of God. But that was it. And here we have God coming down to earth. The Creator of all things coming and hanging out with His creation. So when we look at the personification of God, we look at the life of Christ because He is God. So we want to understand how does God work on this earth? Let's look at the life of Christ. What were some of the things that He did? He healed the sick. He forgave sins. He taught the Word. He would reach out to the lost. He did all of these things for one purpose. Because He loved us. Who is God? God is love. 
What is love? Love speaks the truth. We can see this and we all through Scripture. We can see who Christ is and what He's done and why He was here and the things that He accomplished and, and, and whatnot. And you see it through the lives of, of the other apostles later on and they're always talking about Christ. One person comes down and revolutionizes the world. But there's nothing more to that. We can see the purpose of Christ coming in Isaiah 53. And we're going to read the whole thing. So turn over to Isaiah 53. I've got it up on the screen. But we should read this because this is talking about Jesus. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. They're basically saying he's ugly. He has despised, is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and he hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. <clears throat> and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Not with the wicked, excuse me. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He, was, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, you shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. We see here all that Christ came to do. Here it is, the Son of God, God standing before them, and they turned away. You see the story in, in, in Lazarus and the rich man that Jesus is telling, and He's saying, just send Lazarus back so that, they, that my brothers will believe so they don't end up here. And He's like, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe one rising from the dead. How prophetic was that? Because how many people do not believe that one rose from the dead making sacrifice for all? We see that all throughout. And then Jesus tells us as if we have seen Him, we have seen the Father. John 14 and verse 7. <clears throat> if you had known Me, you would have known My Father also. And from now on you know Him and have seen Him. Philip said to Him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, I have been with you so long, and yet you have not known Me, Philip. He who has seen Me has seen the Father. 
So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. He is showing that when we look at Jesus, we are looking at the whole person of God. This is where we are. We got to answer who God is, and we look at that through the personification of Christ. But you know what? Jesus didn't just appear suddenly in the New Testament, all of a sudden. Here I am, look at me. You can see him all the way throughout Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Christ. The Old Testament is a story about a nation, the New Testament is a story about a man, that is Christ. In the Old Testament, God rose up a nation so that the lineage of Christ could come through, so that He could redeem mankind to Himself. Who is God? God is love. He set this plan in motion before the foundations of the world. And so what I want to do with you here in the time we have remaining is go through every book in the Bible. Sort of. Without giving you specific chapter and verse, we can go through each book and we can see the attributes of Christ that are inside of that. When we see Him, we see the Father. In Genesis, starting in the Old Testament, in Genesis, He is the Creator God. In Exodus, He is the Redeemer. In Leviticus, He is the Sanctification. In Numbers, He is your guide. In Deuteronomy, He is your teacher. In Joshua, He is the Mighty Conqueror. In Judges, He gives victory over enemies. In Ruth, He is your kinsman, your lover, your redeemer. In 1 Samuel, He is the root of Jesse. In 2 Samuel, He is the son of David. In 1 and 2 Kings, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, He is your intercessor and high priest. In Ezra, He is your temple, your house of worship. In Nehemiah, He is your mighty wall protecting you from your enemies. In Esther, He stands in the gap to deliver you from your enemies. In Job, He is the arbitrator who not only understands your struggles, but has the power to do something about them. In Psalms, He is your song and your reason to sing. In Proverbs, He is your wisdom, helping you make sense of life and live it successfully. In Ecclesiastes, He is your purpose, delivering you from vanity. In the Song of Solomon, He is your lover, your rose of Sharon. And Isaiah, he is the mighty counselor, the prince of peace, the everlasting father and more. He's everything you need. In Jeremiah, he is your balm of Gilead and the soothing salve for your sin-sick soul. In Lamentation, he is the ever-faithful one upon whom you can depend. In Ezekiel, he is your wheel in the middle of a wheel, the one who assures that dry, dead bones will come alive again. In Daniel, He is the Ancient of Days, the Everlasting God, who never runs out of time. In Hosea, He is your faithful lover, always beckoning you to come back, even when you have abandoned Him. In Joel, He is your refuge, keeping you safe in times of trouble. In Amos, He is the husbandman, the one you can depend on to stay by your side. In Obadiah, He is the Lord of the kingdom. In Jonah, He is your salvation, bringing you back within His will. In Micah, he is the judge of the nation. In Nahum, he is the jealous God. In Habakkuk, he is the holy one. In Zephaniah, he is the witness. In Haggai, he overthrows the enemies. In Zechariah, he is the Lord of hosts. And in Malachi, he is the messenger of the covenant. And then in the New Testament, we actually see Christ show up personally. In Matthew, he is the king of the Jews. 
In Mark, He is the servant. In Luke, He is the Son of Man feeling what you feel. In John, He is the Son of God. In Acts, He is the Savior of the world. In Romans, He is the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, He is the rock that followed Israel. In 2 Corinthians, He, the triumphant one, giving victory. In Galatians, He is your liberty. He sets you free. In Ephesians, He is the head of the church. In Philippians, He is your joy. In Colossians, He is your completeness. In 1 Thessalonians, He is your hope. In 2 Thessalonians, He is your glory. In 1 Timothy, He is your faith. In 2 Timothy, He is your stability. In Titus, He is your reason for serving. In Philemon, He is your benefactor. In Hebrews, He is your perfection. In James, He is the power behind your faith. In 1 Peter, He is your example. In 2 Peter, He is your purity. In 1 John, He is your life. In 2 John, He is your pattern. In 3 John, He is your motivation. In Jude, He is the foundation of your faith. And in Revelation, He is your coming King. The question I ask is, who is God? The answer is, He is our everything. He is our everything. He is more than we can even think or imagine. A God that we could truly comprehend exhaustively is no God at all. We don't want a God that we can understand every attribute of. Understand the inner workings of all of His power and ability. His majesty and glory. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there's so much of it that we try to wrap our heads around. And the truth is, is if we could wrap our heads around, He's not worth worshiping. He is not bound by time. He is not bound by place. He is not bound by circumstances. He is not bound by Supreme Court rulings. He's not bound by the laws of the land. He's not bound by the consciousness of mankind. He is not bound by what people seem to think that the church is and who Christ is. He's not bound by any of that. He is above all of that. Who is God? He is everything that we need. He's all that we need. He's all that we have. He should be all that we desire. God is bigger than the world around us. And you may be asking, what does this have to do with spiritual warfare? The answer to that is simple. If we don't know who it is we serve, why would we go to battle? If we don't understand how big and mighty our God is, because spiritual warfare has little to do with our ability. It has little to do with our Bible knowledge, kind of. A little to do with how good we are at different things or how spiritual we are. It all has to do with how good He is and our faithfulness to Him. God is bigger than all of this. I gave you a mouthful, and I'm sure you wanted to write that down, but it would be near impossible. But here's the bottom line, folks. is that, And I warned you guys last week as we started this series, is that I want you to be careful and I want you to be mindful of what's going on around you. It's not a coincidence that the Lord dropped this in my heart six weeks ago to start this series when we did. Because we are seeing a bunch of nonsense coming to fruition that the wheels have put in motion several years ago. We are in a spiritual battle. We are not in a physical battle. We hate no one. We love everybody. And because we love them, we will share the truth with them. And we will not bow down to the pressures of society. We will rise above all of this. We will stand up for what God has done. And when we're persecuted, we'll take joy in it. When people come against us and tell us that we're bigots and hate mongers and all of this other stuff, and tell us that we have an antiquated faith, 
and believe in something that couldn't possibly exist. We will love them just the same. We will reach out to them just the same and we will stand on the foundation of the Word of God and saying, you can change your opinions, but you can't change truth. God is bigger than all of this. And so we need to be mindful of the days that we live in. The thing that I love more than anything is that in, in, in 2 Peter it talks about how scoffers will come and all this stuff, and you see it all of it. And then Paul tells us, and I can't think of where it is off the top of my head, but when all of this is coming, you who are believers, look up, for the day of your redemption is near. We take joy in this. My heart breaks for the lost. It even talks about how Satan has blinded their minds that they cannot see the truth. And we cannot intellectually break through to them. Only the Holy Spirit can. So we have to be people of prayer, doing battle. And we'll get into that more. But be aware of what's going on and be aware of what's going to happen because the enemy is coming around. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he can only devour a believer if that believer is willingly laying themselves down so that he can do it. Because we have authority over that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you are our everything. That you've given everything. That you created everything. And we don't take this topic lightly, Lord, but we will, we will go through it and we will see what you've shown us in through Scripture week after week after week after week. Lord, we will just dig into this, Lord, and I thank you that as we go through our lives that we have an opportunity to proclaim truth. That our lives proclaim truth. That... Everything we do, Lord, just shows that your love is real and that it's out there and that lives can be changed by it. And so, Lord, I thank you that as we go out into the highways and byways of life, that we do business, that we do life, Lord, that, that you just open doors to us, that we can proclaim truth to all that we come across. That we're just not playing church, Lord, but we're truly being the church and that we will make disciples for your sake. Thank you for allowing us the privilege to serve you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. One more thing I want to share with you guys just real quick. And I just want you to think about this. And this, this kind of hit me uh, probably early this morning. Um, you know, just praying. And, and, and sometimes it's frustrating. You know, we invite people to church and they don't show up. You know, I had, I had two different families tell me they'd be here today and they're not here. And that's okay. We're going to keep inviting them. But I want you to think of something. <laughs> exactly. But you know, I want you to think about it. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And according to Scripture, based off what we have, he never had anybody convert. Same with Lot. He was in a, a horrible place, frustrated by all the things. He talks about how his heart was broken by the, seeing the, the, the lawlessness that was going on all around him. He never had anybody convert. We're not moved by circumstances. We are moved by what the Word tells us and to be good stewards and be faithful. Amen? So keep your heads up. If you guys have been writing on people, that's all we plant, we water, God brings the harvest. That's what we do. Okay? Just want to encourage you guys. You guys, be blessed. Have a great week. Come Wednesday night. God is good. Amen? Amen. All right. We'll see you.